Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I'm your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today can be aptly described as a dreamer. She is Northern Virginia, born and bred, currently to be found lollygagging in Greater Wilmington, North Carolina. She's my friend and one Megan Petty. Megan runs a music blog called Fuzzy Logic, which I highly recommend you carving out time out of your busy schedules to read what Megan is up to, what she's doing, who she's interviewing, and the like. We asked Megan what she's currently working on creatively or what is inspiring her at the moment, and she replied, the blog, it's always, always the blog. In terms of any favorite sports or activities, uh, Megan is all about European football. She is a big fan of Manchester United in particular. She loves absorbing music and the general plotting of various things. In terms of any favorite TV shows to watch or stream, she is obsessed with British television. She's a big fan of Midsummer Murders and uh, really pleasantly surprised that there is an entire channel that is dedicated to Midsummer Murders. Does Megan have any pet peeves? Well, she says that they are too numerous to list. One of the more or one of the most vexing uh, things is people not using their turn signals. Come on now. Megan, I cannot agree with you more. Today, Megan and I will be dipping our toes into the pool of Britpop to discuss The Verve's influential second LP titled A Northern Soul. A Northern Soul was released on June 20th in the UK and on July 3rd in the States in the year 1995. It was cut on Hutt Records and Vernon Yard in the US. A Northern Soul was recorded at Loco Studio in Wales. Owen Morris produced. Jack Adams mastered the record. And we asked if there are any guest performers on the album and uh, found out that, yes, via the liner notes, that Liam Gallagher provided hand claps on a magnificent track titled History, which you will likely learn a little bit about later. Megan, without further ado, it's... So great to have you on the program on this fine evening. We are talking in the evening right now. Thank you so very much for being here on Cover to Cover today. Thank you so much for having me. It truly is an honor, and I am absolutely thrilled to be part of your Cover to Cover conversations. You are my friend who has quite the encyclopedic (laughs) knowledge of all things that could be dubbed as Britpop, so I am eagerly looking forward to delving in here. Why don't we do just that? So why a Northern soul? So as, as you know, I um, actually had quite a hard time coming to my final decision. And it primarily was because I couldn't decide which Verve record I was going to pick um, because Of all the records I've ever listened to, I think the first two, especially um, first two records of theirs just made the most 
impact on me in my formative record listening years. And they really just, you know, for some people, maybe it's OK Computer. For some people, it's What's the Story, Morning Glory. For some people, it's definitely Maybe. And those are all great. But to me, these are the ones, you know, I can not listen to them for months at a time. But especially this one, anytime I come back to it, it just literally takes my breath away. Even after hearing it so many times, like the CD right now is in my car. So it's never that far away from me. It's just, it's become kind of a part of who I am. And it's really one of the only records I think I can say that about. Is this a record, a Northern Soul, where you not only have it on compact disc, but perhaps do you have it? I actually don't, believe it or not. Um, And I don't know if it's because when I was first buying music, I wasn't really buying vinyl. I was buying just CDs because we're talking about, you know, the nineties and CDs were the thing. And it was sort of right before vinyl was making that first big comeback. Um, And I, I just never bought, I actually don't think I have any of these records on vinyl, which is, it's terrible. You know, I will say that one of the other records I was thinking about which isn't technically an official Verve release. Um, it's called Voyager One. I I covet that on vinyl. It's a very, very rare live recording of the Verve. And that's kind of the one I would probably want most in my life. But when you see them pop up on various internet auction sites, you're looking at a few hundred dollars. And I just haven't ever been able to justify it. But I... Every now and then I'm like, well, maybe this will be the year that I buy Voyager 1, but I just have them on CD. And of course, you know, now that I do Spotify, I like listen to them all the time on on that as well. Yeah. yeah. More portable. More Although compact. I did I, in college, yeah. I totally fell asleep, you know, as we did with our Discman. Um, like I would listen to it before I went to sleep and then I would yeah. be, you know, wake up with the Discman under my pillow. Um, so... Yeah, and you would have to like put that disc man just in a certain spot where it wouldn't, um, uh, you know, wouldn't develop yeah. any kind of static or any any sort of, you know, it had to be in a spot mm-hmm. where the chances of skipping was oh, relatively yes. those were the low. Good old days. <laughs> yes, those were the good old days. We are talking with my friend Megan Petty here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarko, specifically about the Verve's a Northern soul. And uh, Megan, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the players? Who's the, uh, so who's the, the lead singer to begin vocalist with? Yeah. Slash lyricist is Richard Ashcroft, who um, people who are listening now may know more, maybe from his solo career. Um, as we were talking about earlier, uh, he's released a number of records um, under his own name. So once the verve, ceased recording together he just kept pressing on um so he's the one you know he is i think an artistic genius um he's very tall he's very lanky he looks like he's just i don't know he's poetic and a little bit out there and just he looks like the type of person who's going to be able to write incredibly powerful uh and gut-wrenching lyrics, which he has done and this record is full of. Um, Interesting to note, and 
you know, forgive me, some people may already know this, but other people may not. Um, Richard Ashcroft was actually nicknamed Captain Rock by the one and only Noel Gallagher, who actually dedicated the song Cast No Shadow from the Oasis LP, What's the Story, Morning Glory, to Richard Ashcroft. So that's kind of cool about him. Um, The music press, I believe, called him uh, Mad Richard, but that was sort of, this was kind of the end of that period. It was more when he had long hair and they were more, a little more psychedelic. Um, So Richard was sort of the driving force, but his foil was the lead guitarist, Nick McCabe, who I think is completely underrated. If you look like look closely at his, his guitar on this record and on the previous record, a storm in heaven, it's just magical what he can do. Um, You've also got Simon Jones on the bass and Pete Salisbury on drums. And for people who like the charlatans who hopefully a few listeners do. Pete is actually now touring with the Charlatans as their drummer. And I actually saw him with them in DC last October, I want to say. So he's, he's still going with the Britpop era. Um, And as you mentioned, the big name guest on the record was Liam Gallagher, who provided hand claps on history. Although that isn't actually on the liner notes. That just is like a, a little known, little-known guest appearance, Uh, and there are also some orchestral strings from one of the London symphonies um, also in history. So those are are the main players on A Northern Soul. Fantastic. That's a nice little fact for our listeners about Peter Salisbury. I I personally wasn't aware of that. Really cool. Really, really good stuff. Can you, Megan, describe exactly where perhaps you you first... uh, came upon the verf and uh and this particular record did it did it begin with the first and then gradually transition over to the second record because you you loved the band so much early on or um how did that how did that how did they you so know for me get into the your verve world was, it wasn't linear like that because their first record the full-length record um a storm in heaven i think was released either towards the end of 1991 or very early in 1992. And I was a little bit not quite uh, up on my my Brits yet at that point in time. Um, it would take me another few years before I really discovered how much I loved British bands and um, just quality guitar music. I started actually with... Um, the third one, which was Urban Hymns, which was the big one for them. That's the one that has Bittersweet Symphony and the video where Richard is walking down a sidewalk looking incredibly angry and brooding and menacing. And he's got his Clarks on and he's just ambling down the street, like daring people to come at him. And it's just fantastic. Um Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very yeah, like dark and hawk like and just very he's like a a bird of prey almost, but he um that was that was the one that I bought first and you know when I was sort of in high school, probably around the age of fifteen or so is when I started to buy 
the British music rags. So your select, your cue, your mojo, I would go to, I don't know, like Tower Records or wherever and just go immediately, make a beeline for the import bins and see what I can find. And I would just, yeah, yeah. I would just buy things. Like if I saw an ad for them in one of the magazines, if I read an interview where someone I already knew I liked referenced someone, I would go buy something. And then I bought a Northern Soul either my first or second year of college. And it was, it's kind of wild because I, I don't remember the name of the store, but it was in the strip mall, which is rather unremarkable unless you consider where the strip mall was, which is Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So strangely, I was able to find decent British music while I was in college down there in the heart of Dixie. So I bought it. And then, you know, I remember the same, same year, probably just a few months later, I was taking, um, taking a class on romanticism and romantic poetry. And we're sitting there and we read some, you know, it was, we were studying William Blake and we started reading his poem, London, which is from songs of experience. And I just had this crazy moment of deja vu. I'm like, wait, I know this, but it's the first time I'm, I'm reading this poem. What's going on. And it finally hit me. It was, the song history, but written a couple hundred years earlier by another, it's crazy that the parallel, you know, with William Blake, because not that this has happened to Richard Ashcroft and the Verve, but he actually died underappreciated and you know, essentially broke. Um, and kind of in a way, the Verve, I think, didn't get that recognition that they deserved. So it's sort of like this weird parallel with William Blake. But anyway, so Richard Ashcroft, not only was a great lyricist in the verve, we shared a love of William Blake. But it's if you put them side by side, the poem London is very much taken from or inspiration for the song history. Interesting that that's sort of a parallelism to many, you know, different mm-hmm. instances that happen in the folk tradition. I mean, this is, you know, I, I, immediately what comes to mind is uh, yeah. Simon and Garfunkel made it famous. Yeah, well, and that many, too. Many years I mean, ago, now Scarborough Fair. That kind of is funny because yeah. you know I think the old legend is that Henry VIII wrote it, but did he really? <laughs> Do you not just like pill it like he took credit for it from some? <laughs> you know, country musician yeah. somewhere like, but yeah. Right. God, that's so interesting. So we are talking with my friend Megan Petty right here on cover to cover with Matt Tarkas, specifically about the Verve's second LP a Northern soul. And uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about where this album fits in. It's their second, second LP. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about some of those psychedelic sounds, do you think that a Northern soul in some way, you know, was building upon that first record or in some ways, do you think it's kind of a, a little bit of a departure? It's from kind what of both to me. Really um, I think career? on the surface, if you're comparing the two, they are sonically really different. I mean, you, you do have moments of some feel of psychedelia with some of the more instrumental songs or some of the, the longer songs like drive you home um, kind of ramble a little bit and they get sort of 
feels very loose and sort of unpredictable and where is this song going? Um, but it's nothing like this sort of chaotic starbursts of, of psychedelia that they had on a storm of he- storm in heaven. Um, but it's also, you know, it's very different to the next record, Urban Hymns. And I think maybe they did sort of build a little bit in the sense that they they sort of turned in ways like they took what they'd done on the storm in heaven and it became something completely different with the Northern soul, but it still sounds like them. And then with, with urban hymns, it's just a lot more, shall we say accessible. And of course that's the one that really took off for them and finally got them um, attention, not just, you know, they'd already had a little bit of attention in the UK and Europe, but it kind of made them a name here. Um, but it's artistically urban hymns is not my favorite, although I do think there are some really good songs on it. And then there's the last record that they, they released after breakup number two, um, two, three, I think. And I, that was, I want to say 2008 um, called fourth, F-O-R-T-H, even though it's their fourth record. So that was kind of the pun. Um, yes. Uh, and in all honesty, that's the one I listened to the Very least. Very appropriate, um, yeah. Just because it it doesn't quite, it feels more like a band that you know isn't going to play together anymore, as opposed to, you know, Storm in Heaven, which has that just magic energy of, of people who are playing together and know how good they are. And it's just, you can feel things happening when bands like that belong together and they are playing together at the right time and the right place. And in Northern soul, I think, you know, people, if you look at different critical write-ups, people sort of are split between the two and I am as well, as far as which is more, I don't know, creatively important, but I think the storm in heaven really it's, it can speak to more people or excuse me, a Northern soul can speak to more people and that's sort of what makes it such a, a wonderful record. Absolutely. It feels like a good time to kind of dabble into, you know, some of the tracks that are on this particular record. Do you have any, you know, favorites right here off the top? I feel that, like, uh, I feel like you know really what I'm going to To say. draw attention to um, at this point. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, Perhaps, this, but our listeners may be unaware. This year to year for me. <laughs> and I really think that at one time or another, pretty much every song has been a favorite. Um, but I think there's probably three that I would say could be considered co-favorite songs. And those are all sort of the more, I guess they're more to do with love and that sort of powerful intoxication of love versus you know, uh, not necessarily being with that person that you have all this love for and how that love sort of relates to your place in life. And, and those songs are going to be on your own, which is song number three, uh, drive you home song number seven, and then history, which is song number eight. And they are, they're different. They're very different to one another. And 
if I said to you that they hadn't all made me cry at one time or another, I would totally be lying because they all have. And they're just, they're just that poignant. It's like the way Ashcroft could write a song and the way they put this music together, that just, it, it's alive with this expression that he was trying to convey. It's just, it's very potent and very, very magnificent. Yeah. On your own, you know, that it's, it, it, to my ears, it seems to have these elements of wanting to forget and, mm-hmm. and move away it's from really, those things. Really that, good way know, of, of looking at it. Somebody's soul. Yeah. Beautiful finger picked acoustic guitar that kind of like makes its way into various, you know, just kind of backbeats of the measure of this track. It's just, it's very cool. It's uh it's, it's a nice, you know, break. If you're looking at this as a mixtape from a new decade into this is music, this was, yeah. this was just a much <laughs> it is, needed. It is. And, and the first two, you're right there. The first two songs are just it's a so, very pensive track. they're so big and they're so you know, aggressive and like these statements of intent almost. And then they do like, they, they pull it back with on your own. And it's kind of a surprise because it is such a, you know, it's almost tender in a way, but it's, you know, it's sort of hurt as well. You also mentioned drive you home. That also has, you know, somewhat of a Mm -hmm. mellow flavor too. You know, when I listened to this, I, I had this like feeling that I was floating, you know, and maybe some of that had to do with some of that kind of dreamy distorted guitar. That's genius of Nick McCabe. You you said it point display. It's really prominent in this song too. And are there any lyrics that stick out for, uh, for you in particular and drive you home? There's just such, there's such gorgeous imagery in this one. I mean, just, from the very beginning, it's, just, it's you know, everything. Your face I don't so think pale hasn't seen the light for days. Specific what, lyric what out of it, I think it's just you. it's the way his voice sounds. You know, it's it's tremulous at times. Like it's it's just he's he's feeling all these things while he's singing, and it's just it it's so much different. I think than any other song on that record, and it it I don't know. I it's just. It's quiet, but it's there's a lot of almost anguish in it and plaintiveness, and it's just it's it's unusual for them almost. But it's I just there's no way I can pull pull one lyric out of it because I think it all works together too well in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, just they're just various emotional sequences mm-hmm. in this track, concluding with a little light with you and me in it. I know it's there, but I can't see it. I mean, how, it's just how many people can relate to that type of scenario where something is exactly. just, it's like it's the know, wanting of something in it. You know, you, you just can't connect with show it the you way th- that you'd like, like the to. line about showing show you things your lover wouldn't know. Is it? you know, appealing to someone that you want, but can't have that maybe you have this crazy history with um, something that's just out of reach. There's just, there's the unfinished, you know, cliffhanger feel to it. That is so dynamic. You mentioned history. It, it is a perfect sequence in this record where you're talking yeah. about there, there is yeah. this longing I mean, history me, of something. Probably and then you have the track called history. The best songs of all time. Um, right. You know, you've got the strings and you've got just this, this opulence and you throw in the fact that 
he borrowed from William Blake, who was just this, I think, a kindred spirit of Richard Ashcroft's as far as being ahead of his time. Um, both, you know, Blake was not only an excellent writer, but he was a great artist too. You know, if you go to the Tate Gallery in London, I think they've got some of his works there. And to me, they almost look kind of art deco in a way, which is crazy because that's, you know, 200 or so years almost uh, ahead of its time. But it's got that literary feel to it. It just, it feels like this, I, I don't even know what to say. Really, it's just this magical moment and it's, it's very, as I said, opulent and there's a lot going on, but it's just such a pointedly emotional song. And I don't, I don't know how they do it, but they, they made one of, to me, one of the most moving songs I've ever heard. It reminds me of something that I read in a book that you incidentally uh, recommended to me several years ago, Britpop, Cold Britannia, and the Spectacular Demise of English Rock, um, that this song history uh, heavily influenced what Oasis, yeah, I think, you know, I think they were what's a story in Morning Glory. You know, and that if, was if we can go Wonder there, Wall. I think there was a strong bromance at one time between uh, Noel Gallagher and Richard Ashcroft. And um, I don't think that's so much the case anymore uh, based on some things I've heard. But at the time there was a lot of mutual respect and admiration. And I think, sure. I mean, I, I love Wonderwall and probably have listened to it possibly even more than history, but I think it, as far as substance goes, I think it doesn't necessarily hold a candle to history because I think that, you know, the way Richard Ashcroft writes a song, they really tell stories and they really mm-hmm. sort of, even when they, you know, it's not the most in-depth lyric, like you really, you get it, you get that there's so much behind it. Whereas with a lot of Oasis songs, as much as I love them, there's a little bit more surface I think, and they sound great, but I think with, with, with history in particular, there's like, there's so much depth to the song. And I think that sure, Noel Gallagher really admired Richard Ashcroft and maybe Wonderwall was sort of his, his version of it um, in a, in a way, but I don't know that there's anything that any of the bands from that era did that can come close to that song sounds although i think yeah yeah a northern soul really has that kind of kind of chip on its shoulder because you know there's just as there can be in the u.s and in england there's sort of the north south um not rivalry but there can be a lot of differences between the regions so your Northerners have kind of that chip on the shoulder because of a lot of things that happen in the capital. So I think this record really kind of speaks to that frustration that a lot of people feel in the North. And I don't know that maybe some of the other bands from, from kind of the Northwest where both Oasis and, and the Verve are from, I don't know that they really managed to, to capture that as well. Yeah, it's you can really hear it in the instrumentation. There's a lot of propulsive drums and screeching keyboards, and yeah. uh, you know lyrics like "I want to die alone in bed, too busy staying alive." That really jumped out at me. 
you're 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 caught in this you know you know a feeling of of dire straits and nowhere to turn but you're doing everything you can to to get yourself yeah, out and it's, of it's something know, they really, really they yeah, continued with urban hymns, situation especially with bittersweet yeah, symphony dire. you know it's basically just a song about how miserable the rat race of of life can be you know so that's it's a theme that they kind of played with between those two records um and not so much on the first one because again that one was excellent and completely spacey psych that's not really dealing with the more immediate everyday struggle of of life um so but that's definitely something that people from working class northern towns like they think about all the time because you have to and it's just part of their gift as a band that they were able to turn that frustration and and uh hardships into such beautiful songs definitely there's an in there's an interesting track in between northern soul and drive you home called brainstorm interlude and i just wanted to bring this up very briefly for a second because i was thinking about these really chaotic and yet syncopating drum patterns uh that really seem to inform again this is this is probably conjecture on my part but this song to me was way ahead of its time to be very precise two years ahead of its time in that many things that ed selway of radiohead seemed to accomplish on the recording of okay computer you know i feel like there was you know the verve heavily influenced you know radiohead that- from you know, that, that, finishing no, the bends to, That's, to the yeah, production I, process. I had never okay actually computer. thought about that. Um, There's a lot but of, I think that's yeah, a really like interesting that. point. And Brainstorm Interlude to me is one of those songs that kind of is a little bit of a holdover from A Storm in Heaven that in just in the sense that it is, it's very big and chaotic, as you said, and it's, it is more, it trends more psych um, than a lot of the other songs do, but that's, I mean, the Radiohead thing is, is very interesting to me and I'm going to have to really go back and listen and truth be told, I prefer older Radiohead stuff anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the same camp. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I I was thinking very specifically about, you know, airbag and, and, and electioneering as well. And I thought, wow, you know, there's well, there's think, there's there's some sort oh, of yeah. weird correlation, you know, whether it was intended or not. Ed could have listened to a Northern Soul and been like, "This is such a great record," and then it somehow seeps into what he's playing, and he's like, "I think I want to sound like Pete Salisbury did on this," and you know, who wouldn't? Because you know, it's a really great sound. So that may very well be what happened. What do you think about Northern Soul's cover art? Uh, I actually prefer the back of the liner note um, artwork, which is Simon, the bassist. And it's just, it's a very simple white background. And you've got Simon Jones standing in front of a vending machine that's labeled feelings. And he's, he's got, cause it's, it's, it comes from one of the songs. It comes from the song life's an ocean. And there's a lyric you know, imagine the future. I woke up with a scream. I was buying some feelings from a vending machine. 
So you've got Simon Jones sitting there with like looking down at his hands, obviously counting out some change. And in this vending machine, you can buy certain feelings for 50 cents a pop. And I think that that really, I mean, if it had been up to me, I probably would have made that the cover just because I think it's a really strong image, but you can also make the case that having the four members of the verve sort of staring at you and it, it draws your attention. I will say that. Um, And then, you know, the liner notes themselves, they don't give you the full lyrics. It's just little snippets here and there and some photos. And so there's kind of this mystique about, about the record and it really, it forces you to listen, which is not a bad thing, but there's not that experience that you get a lot of times with the vinyl where you just unfold it and there's all this beautiful artwork and it, it feels a little abrupt in a way, but like with Verve songs, there's a lot going on. It's just about the details. I do remember my senior year of college, I had this great black and white poster of Richard Ashcroft where he had his shaggy hair and he was wearing these great aviator sunglasses and looking all like, like, um, they say in the Clue movie about Mrs. White, he was looking very pale and tragic. And I loved that poster and I actually was thinking about it. I have no idea where it is. So <laughs> kind of annoyed, but Richard Ashcroft was in my bedroom oh, yeah. as a senior in college. The mid nineties were really sort of the time where I started to mm-hmm. be more serious about music um, as far as, the way I listened to it and the way I appreciated it, or if it's just that the mid nineties were great because let's be real, they kind of were. Um, Whenever I listened to this record or any, I mean, any of the Verve records um, or anything from the Britpop era, like I, I do get sent right back there. You know, I think about just the way it felt back then. I think that the world we live in now is a very different world than the one in which this record and other records were created. And I think in a way there's like a sonic place memory that can transport you back to, we'll say a better time. Um, And I think, you know, many of us sort of think about when we were younger and there was sort of this energy and, sense of invincibility but I think for me that that vibe still comes from this record too like as I said earlier I listen to this and it can still bring a tear to my eye and it's still I feel like there may be something new I hear even after all the times I've listened to it and spent you know with headphones pressed against my ears just trying to absorb everything I think this record, it speaks to, it speaks to me now in certain ways that maybe it didn't back then, but it also just, as soon as I put it on and I hear the intro, it's like, I'm, I'm right back in my dorm room, you know, listening to it one of the first few times, or I think about the sense of being in English class and, and reading William Blake and then going, holy crap, you know, I've heard this before. Um, so I think the best music really makes us feel, feel like we can relate both 
to where we were maybe when we first heard it, but it also is so relevant to us in our current day. And, and for me, this record totally does both. My thanks to Megan Petty for being on with us today. For all you listeners out there, thank you very much, and please remember to hit that subscribe button on your favorite device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. Give us a review on Apple or Stitcher, uh, whatever makes sense for you. It helps us appear higher in search results. Take a moment to tell friends and family about our show, and feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia, and we hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.